Hello ladies and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are covering the last chapter of James, number five. Most of the time I try not to reference events of the day in the podcast because I never know when people will be listening. But since this is Thanksgiving week, I found it very interesting that these issues that James spoke of so far in this chapter kept coming to mind as I was with my family for the holidays. The testing of our faith produces endurance, which leads us to become more like Christ. Genuine faith keeps us from partiality, and true faith produces works. Then, chapter 3, our tongue reflects our faith. This one especially the Lord brought to my mind. Then, chapter 4, don't quarrel, I failed a few times. Do not boast, do the right thing, submit and draw near to God. As I have said many times this week, the quote that says, it's not the part of the Bible that I don't understand, that's the problem. It's the part of the Bible I do understand, that's the problem. That is the phrase I think of when I think of James. Chapter 5 continues with actual applications of faith. So let's take a look. James chapter 5 verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is ruined. Your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your fields cries out and the outcry of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. According to Harold S. Songer, James appears not to be speaking to the wicked he seems to speak to the righteous who are discouraged and suffering under the oppression. His purpose is to call the righteous to realize that God's judgment on such wickedness is sure and that the righteous should remain faithful to God. The entire section prepares the way for the exhortation to endurance in the next unit. It did not occur to me until chapter 4 that it seems that James got some news about some of these believers that have been scattered throughout the Gentile world. It seemed he was talking to the Jewish believers in chapter 4 and called them adulteresses because they were not faithful to Jesus Christ. I do think that he is encouraging the believers in Jesus to be faithful in the midst of persecutions. But just as in the Old Testament, some Jews became wealthy and took advantage of their brothers and sisters in the faith. 
living in the day and age in which we live, where it seems that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, where there have been more labor union strikes because the laborers are not paid fair wages, it is possible that James is speaking to rich believers in Jesus who have taken advantage of their position and God-given blessings and have used it to please themselves instead of respecting their workers. James also is making the point that we cannot take it with us when we die. This passage also came to mind as I was eating our Thanksgiving meal. We had so much food and I am so thankful, but the Lord would not let me forget the various people, even in my own town, that do not have the plethora of food that we had. It is so easy for us in America to live luxuriously and indulge ourselves. We need to remember that all that we have is from God above, and we are to give thanks to him for all that he has provided. But we must also do our part to help those in need as the Lord brings opportunity. We must not forget the lowly, for the Lord hears their cry. John Calvin said, God has not appointed gold for rust, nor garments for moth, but on the contrary, he has designated them as aids and helps to human life. Since the Lord knows all these things, and since he hears the cry of the needy, and since the Lord is coming back, verses 7 through 11, therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early rain and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. The Greek word for the Lord's coming is parousia, which means presence, and it is used many times of a king coming or being near. In this section, we see that we are to be patient because one, the Lord is coming and two, the Lord's coming is near. We are to be patient with people and with circumstances, just like the farmer does with the rains in the harvest season. The farmer must trust in the God of the weather. Again, in verse nine, we are told not to complain and not to judge because the judge is standing at the door. I heard a really good sermon illustrated by C.J. Mahoney about this passage. There was a teenage boy who was getting pretty big in his britches. His mom told him to do something and he had had enough. He was not a little boy anymore. He began yelling at his mom and at the end of his tantrum he said to his mom, You're a fool. Now, unbeknownst to him, his dad had come home from work and was standing at the door and he heard the whole thing. When the son got a breath, his father said in a low and slow voice, Who's the fool? The son turned, 
looked at his dad, got red in the face and said, I- I'm the fool. I'm the fool. I- I'm the fool. Ladies, the Lord is standing at the door. He knows all things. And we need to keep that in mind as we are waiting for his return. Now, instead of the farmers, we are to consider the lives of the prophets and their suffering and patience. Warren Wearsby said, It has been said, The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. The Lord was faithful to the prophets. He will be faithful to us. Then the third example of endurance was Job. Harold S. Songer said, Quite accurately, James speaks of the steadfastness of Job rather than his patience. Job did remain faithful to God in his suffering, but he did complain and thus was hardly patient. For those who are not familiar with the book of Job, it is the first Old Testament book of poetry. Job served the Lord. Satan asked the Lord to test him because he was sure that he would not be faithful but he was wrong. Through his testing, Job's herds, his servants, his children were all gone, and then even his health was taken away, but Satan could not take Job's life. After the trials, verse 12 of chapter 42 tells us that the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he received two times as much back from the Lord. Warren Wearsby said, God has to balance privilege with responsibilities, blessings with burdens, or else you and I will become spoiled, pampered children. God never wastes the sufferings of his saints. Verse 12 reads, Now above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Your yes must be yes and your no must be no, so that you won't fall under judgment. Ladies, we are to be women of our word, and we should not need to swear or take an oath to prove that we are telling the truth. Our word should be our bond. Verses 13 through 18 talk of prayer. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. By the way, this is also a type of prayer. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith shall save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. When life is hard, we should pray. When life is great, we should pray with praise. When life is filled with sickness and weakness, we should not pray alone. That is one of the reasons for church leaders to help support us in our time of weakness. When our younger son had a very severe form of epilepsy, we called the deacons of our church to come over to our house before he went into the hospital for a week so that they would come lay hands on him and pray. 
we did not anoint with oil because we believed that oil was medicine and he was on medicine and was in the process of changing his medicine with a doctor in Chicago. Other denominations see oil as more spiritual than medicinal. That evening, he had another seizure, and I remember saying to myself, well, this is not an immediate healing. Through my own walk in this journey, I asked the Lord if this was due to sin in one of our lives, and the Lord gave me the verse found in John chapter 9, verse 3, about the man that was born blind. The disciples asked if it was his sin or the sins of his parents that caused him to be born blind. And Jesus said, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. We do know in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, that sometimes our sickness is brought about because of sin. And that is why it is good to ask the Lord if there is sin that needs to be confessed. James said the prayer of faith will save the sick person. In my son's case, I never heard from the Lord if he would heal him or not, but it was very evident to me that God was with us in the journey. He had seizures for a year, and his last seizure was April 2nd, 2000. He was on medicine for six more years, and his last medicine was on January 11th, 2006. He has been seizure-free for 23 years, but it was a long journey. Why does God heal some and not others? I do not know. But what I do know is he is with us in the darkness and we are never alone, even if it feels like it sometimes. As James chapter 1 tells us, trials make us more like Christ and they are never wasted, but they are always purposeful. In this section, James uses three different Greek words for prayer. In verses 13 and 14, it means pray to God, pray earnestly for worship or supplication. In verses 15 and 16, it means prayer, petition, votive, or vow. Then in verse 16b, when it says intense prayer, it means request and supplication. The intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. Harold S. Songer said, The quote has great power in its effect can be understood to mean when God makes it effective. Then we are to look at the example of Elijah, who has a sinful nature like ours, yet he prayed. Literally, it is, and with prayer, he prayed for it not to rain. Wearsby said, many people do not pray in their prayers. They just lazily say religious words and their hearts are not in their prayers. The story of Elijah is found in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. Harold S. Songer said, a man like us and the fact that his prayer altered the cycle of nature should encourage us to pray that the nature of our existence and that of others would be changed. This leads us to the end of James, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, he should know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. 
In light of the verses before us, we need to remember to pray fervently for people in our lives. We need to pray for those that are lost, that they will see the truth of the light of Jesus and come to know him. And we need to pray for those believers that have turned away, that they would come back. We should also pray for other believers, that they would stay faithful until Christ comes again. Beth Moore did a Bible study on James called Mercy Triumphs. So far, I like her explanation of the ending of this letter. If you remember in our introduction, we learned that James was Jesus' half-brother. And while Jesus was alive, he did not believe Jesus was the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah. It was not until Jesus' resurrection and in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that we learn that James became a believer. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, that Jesus appeared to James specifically. Moore believes that James ended his letter this way because Jesus appeared to him, turned him around, and covered a multitude of sins in his life. As she explained, mercy triumphed. It happened in his life, and we are to be instruments to help mercy triumph in others' lives, as it has happened in us as well. So ladies, has the Lord laid on your heart someone you need to pray for? Is there an issue in your life that you need to pray with a brother or sister in Christ? Do you need to call the leadership of your church to come and pray for you? Are you a woman of your word? Are you enduring persecution? Are you staying faithful? Do you know that the Lord is standing at the door? Are you ready for his return? Are you remembering the poor? Are you living in luxury and self-indulgence? If you are a boss, do you treat your workers fairly and bless them? Is your treasure in heaven or on earth? As Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now that we have finished, James, when I think of him, I think of Jesus. May that be said of us also. Until next time, and thank you so very much for listening.